0: Hi, welcome back to Atrium Talks. Hi, Bhagwan. Hi, Deepak. Bhagwan, in the last few episodes, we've been talking about how decision makers, variety of decision makers in both the private and public sector, need accurate and timely data for effective decision making.
1: For example, GDP. Right. But you see, many times the official statistics are late. They're not often accurate, and sometimes we don't even trust them. Is China really going at 12%? And there's all kinds of issues about what the right GDP numbers are.
0: Right. So a related example. So for instance, today, if I want to know the state of labor markets, I have to rely on the last periodic labor force survey that was conducted a quarter ago for any decisions that I need to make today. So I don't have real-time information on the labor markets to inform my judgment. So what you're saying is data is fragmented, it's privately held, it's not timely, its accuracy is subject to suspicion. Right.
1: You don't therefore trust it we don't all the time.
0: trust the data.
1: But a lot has changed. It has. We are able to find other proxies for some of these variables which are very accurate. For example.
0: And and these proxies are high frequency high resolution.
1: High frequency high resolution so you can get it in real time. Okay. Uh, for example, for GDP, economists took satellite data of night lights and they could figure out there was a big difference between North Korea and South Korea. So, again, it's a proxy for GDP. At ISB, we looked at during COVID, when we were trying to figure out the economic activity, we looked at what's called e-way bill data. That is, every time something was traded on the truck, they had to create an electronic e-way bill. By looking at that, we could figure out what the economic activity was, so we could tell when the recovery was taking place state by state
0: in fact covid was uh, when also a lot of tech companies uh, released high frequency high resolution data uh, so that we could assess the impact of the pandemic this is a great example but there was also mobility data that google and facebook shared right there was payments and transactions data that was made available from several retail outlets and you know the national payment corporation of india for instance i know we worked with them to get payment transactions on a you know on a daily basis so, a lot of high-frequency, high-resolution data that came forth that allowed us to assess the impacts of the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Right? And, and not just GDP. For example, Google started this Google Trends data. Correct.
0: correct. Which
1: allowed us to figure out what was happening flu. with flu, for correct, uh, correct. example. And
0: many other things. Going back to the labor markets example, studies have also shown that you can use online job searches data to nowcast the state of labor markets. Nowcast
1: in real time. Right. Okay. Right. So there's data, of course, but there's also methods. That That's true. That's okay. true. So we have a lot of AI methods now that can look at image analytics and figure out all kinds of interesting things.
0: For example, Bhagwan, you know, in, in the Netherlands, there was this article that was published, I think, in Science. Using sophisticated image processing can look at, you know, breast tissue and predict the prognosis, right? And and that machine has uncovered strains that, you know, the human pathologist was unable to do.
1: And I, I know of a, a startup that's trying to look at water bodies. In fact, in Europe, they are looking at water bodies. And by just taking the pictures of it from the, the camera, uh, you can tell just by the pixelation of the surface whether the water is contaminated or not. So it's kind of like me looking at you. Oh, I think you're looking kind of sick just by looking at the image of you. Same thing is being used for water.
0: Data is therefore must also emerge as fundamental to competition today, right, amongst organizations.
1: That's what has given tech firms a huge advantage.
0: Amazon's the Netflix of the world. I mean, if you look at, for instance, you know, tech companies, if you look at a demand curve and you say that, you know, the brick and mortar industrial economy compete in the head of the demand curve, where the tech companies, their battlefield is the tail right this this long tail you know unique preferences of customers that they yeah. cater to and that's a company like netflix right with its algorithms can now if you don't find a mainstream blockbuster it can direct you using data right. to the tail uh, to a product that you know the brick and mortar companies don't have in their stores but you know which is aligned with your preferences it's the basis of their growth it's the basis of amazon's growth today
1: And Amazon is taking advantage of the data it has to figure out which companies to acquire, which businesses to spend more resources in.
0: Correct. And when you ask Alexa to get you batteries, she gets you batteries.
1: She gets you batteries. Okay. But there's a problem.
0: Yes, there is a big problem. Because if you look at Amazon, for instance, it starts as a retailer Right. As an online retailer, then it goes on to becoming a marketplace. Mm-hmm. So now it has access to all of the data on the sellers and the customers. It then moves into the seller side of the marketplace by launching its own private labels. Lo behold, within a year, it gains 30 percent market share in those categories that it enters. And then it creates the ecosystem of conversational commerce with Alexa, etc., to dictate customer preferences, because it's complete dominance. And yeah. it's all that dominance is driven by data. So,
1: Deepa, I think what we need is some kind of policy and regulatory intervention that allows us to collect this data, create indices sector by sector, and make it available open source so that we can democratize the data. So that not a few firms have advantage, but there's a level playing field and everybody can make use of it.
0: Correct, it's not privately held, it's open source. And that's
1: gonna take some work. Right. But prediction isn't everything, is it?
0: No, it's not. But in many cases, we need to understand both of these, right? We need to understand the context and we also need understand to understand the, the mechanism.
1: the mechanism, the cause. It's not just we are trying to predict what you're going to buy next, but we need to figure out what the underlying causes are.
0: Correct. In, in some cases, we have a theorized or a formalized relationship that we want to test using the data. Yeah. For instance, do tablets and classrooms work? Yeah. Right. We have a hypothesis and we want to mm-hmm. test it. But in the process, we want to know more about the context. We also want to know why this happens. So there is a lot more information that we seek from the analysis uh, than simple prediction.
1: Right. Simple prediction is just correlation. Correct. And it's associations. Correlation. Which are
0: incredibly valuable. Yeah. But, but not co- insert in correlation is
1: not causation. Correct. Okay, and sometimes we can get into all kinds of trouble, like we can get. Correct. This yes. is associated with this, but the causality may be running in the opposite direction.
0: Correct. The same example that I talked about, tablets in classrooms. If I just run a simple regression of, you know, performance on uh, adoption of tablets. I might just miss the fact that the students who adopt the tablets are also likely to be high performers, right? Or uh, I might miss the fact that there are certain variables that affect adoption as well as performance, like, you know, the student's uh, family status, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So there have been a great progress on that count as well. So the fact that now we're able to collect all kinds of data gives rise to these new methods for which... A few people got Nobel Prizes in economics called instrumental variable techniques or how to identify the real variable that's causing that effect.
0: Correct. Tell us a little more.
1: So, let me give you an example. For example, we have this hypothesis that education causes wages to go up. So, if you run a simple prediction, of course, you're going to find high education, high wages. But, and Malcolm Gladwell talks about it. Is it really education that's causing the wages to go up or people who have high IQ and high skills are getting more educated and therefore they have the high wages? So what we need to do is we need to tease out from this variable, what is the effect of education over and above IQ or skills? So Malcolm Gladwell gives this example of, you know, your birth, what month you were born in. Depending on that, you are either the oldest student on the class or the youngest student in the class. So there, the amount of education you got by the time you pass high school is either 12 years or 13. And using that as a variable, you can tease out that indeed, more education does lead to higher wages. Yes,
0: so, because it doesn't affect wages directly, or its effect on wages is completely mediated through its effect on education.
1: And the fact that we have more data allows us to do many more clever things with what we call instrumental variables. Sure.
0: And that's one, that's one way of teasing out causality. There are, methods, there are experiments that a lot has changed.
1: A lot has changed.
0: There have been significant uh, advances in both the types of data that are now available for us for analysis as well as the methods used to analyze these data.
1: So There was this old saying which says data is the new oil, but I think Kiran Mazumdar Shaw pointed out that oil is a depletable resource. So she likes to say data is the new renewable energy, you can use it again, but I'll go one step further. I think data is accumulative, and accumulative means wisdom. So I am going to say data data is wisdom.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Bhagwan.
1: Thank you, Deepa.